Hey everyone, this is Jay. Just a quick note before we get started. It's been a while since we've had a new show and we are excited to bring this one to you. Unfortunately, I have some new equipment that I used this week and it wasn't working quite the way I was expecting. So we have some audio problems. You can still hear everyone. It's a good story. Buckle up. But I do apologize. It's not up to our normal standards. We'll get that fixed for the next one. But I wanted to bring it to you anyway. So thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Time to go beyond the locker room talk and listen in with me, GB, producer Jay, former patients and current friends of our own Cornell-trained, world-renowned urologist and surgeon, Dr. Michael Hyman. Let's talk about the issues on men's minds where no topic's out of bounds on another sit-down with two men and a doc. Hey guys, welcome back. First uh, show of 22, it's uh, good to see you, Jay. And you are... Remind me again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. It's very good to see you, GB, and you, Doc. Hey, Jay. What's the word? We've been uh, we've we've been apart. Uh, we've seen each other, but you know, frankly, I've been very busy, and uh, life just kind of got away from us. But you know, we keep talking about getting together, and today's the day. So it's good to see you guys, and uh, thanks for the patience of everyone else. Yeah, it's good to be seen, and Doc, thank you for your patience. <laughs> <laughs> my patients and my patients. Right. That's correct. Where would we be without them? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it's fun because lately I've been, you know, not being the greatest business mind. I, I haven't, uh, and marketing mind, I haven't really pressed our show the way I've always intended to. Um, but recently I finally, like somewhere around a month or two months ago, I finally posted these um, flyers in frames in my office um, for the show and uh, JT was was uh, very kind to put together a very uh, colorful flyer and so now I, I well it has it has a QR code so people can yeah, immediately they can code. download yeah, it right away I don't, remember, I don't remember taking headshots for <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's sort of a cartoon and, and it's got a, a kind of a microphone and then it's got our our logo behind it it's great and um, and it's fun. I would say definitely people ask me about it and they're like, so wait a minute, you got a podcast? And I said, well, I, I, I'm on a podcast with two friends of mine and I tell them about it and they grab the QR code. Well, I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't even tell this to GB, but like I was looking at our numbers and, you know, we haven't done a show in a while and yet they were going up and up and I was like, what is happening out there? <laughs> what? Like, who's discovering this thing? And and then the doc told me that, uh, you know, it's, it's his marketing muscle. That's it. That's it. I finally flexed him. So welcome to the new listeners out That's there. Right. So, the new listeners. Yeah, thank you for joining. I, I tried to give them my take on some of the some of the good episodes that we've done. And uh, I can't remember which one I brought up. But one the one that always comes to mind and people can who've, who've listened to the show can certainly uh, recall this. And if you haven't listened to the show, you can. You can look back and see the episode called "The People, The Things People Do." The things people do. That's a that's a fun one. That's a fun. Oh, one. I remember that one. That's when yeah. you had to bust out the power tools. That's right. That's <laughs> right. right. That's right. That's right. It's going to Home Depot. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, well, this one's going to be reminiscent of that a little bit. Um, I've got an interesting case that came up uh, not too long ago. Um, you know, again, uh, when you're on call. 
you know, different, different types of, different doctors take different types of call, I should say. You know, sometimes you just take call for your practice, and those tend to be pretty low-key because hopefully you take good care of your patients, and most of the time nothing terribly urgent happens. I mean, maybe somebody's passing a kidney stone, maybe somebody can't urinate, but, you know, really catastrophic stuff. You usually, if you're screening people properly and monitoring them properly, you, you anticipate these things and they don't become emergencies. But other times you're on call um, and you're covering like a hospital. You know, you've got some kind of arrangement, which I do, um, with, with a few hospitals. And you get a call for things that it's just out of the blue. It could be a trauma. You know, somebody got shot and the bullet went through their kidney or something, you know. But in this case... Um, well, we did a show on that, too, where, we? where the rubber bullet... Oh, right? the rubber bullet. That's right. The Actually, magic bullet. Yeah, that recently... That patient recently... Uh, I think he's he's going after the city, finally, yeah. for that. I recently had to, to release to his attorney all these records... Anyway, yeah, you, um, you saved you saved his I uh, saved testicle. his testicle, so he's making sperm and all of that. But it's another know, show. He went through a lot. I think we went. We did a show. Yeah, on yeah, that. yeah, we did yeah, a show yeah. on that. Um, anyways, I get a call. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to go through my rolodex of all the episodes that we've done for all the new listeners. <laughs> there we go. As, <laughs> a, go. as a teaser. Yeah, do it. Um, this is one where where a guy where I get a call and they it really was just billed as. Um, Let's see, I think they just said, we need you to see this patient who came in from a nursing home and um, his, uh, he's, got a, he's got a problem with a, with a penile implant. Okay, I, I have a question. When you come from a nursing home, do you typically come in via ambulance? So at this point, then, I didn't know. And then are you admitted to the ER as opposed to... Right. So usually, you, anytime you're coming into the hospital for an, for an unplanned reason, whether it's from a nursing home or any place, uh, you can possibly manage, imagine you're coming through the ER. Okay. Yeah. But there's a difference to come through an ambulance versus walking in yourself. You would tend a to little get, bit. You get priority yeah, in you an do. ambulance, you right? Do. You do. Yes, you do. Um, I mean, in a, I would say in a triage sense... Um, I think that if you come in an ambulance because you had, um, you know, I don't know, like you couldn't really get up or, or maybe you, you, you felt you twisted your ankle. Um, they, you call an ambulance and they put you on a gurney and they bring you in. Although usually the ER, the EMTs who drive those ambulances I think they're usually pretty good at sort of saying, like, you don't really need to go in an ambulance to get to the hospital. But let's say it's like an elderly person, and they really can't stand up now, and they're just walking. Then they would bring them to the ER. And then what would happen there is that you'd probably get a triage nurse to look at them and say, oh, this doesn't even look like a, you know, we can get an x-ray, but this doesn't even, maybe they can just see that the, the, the foot's not deformed, or maybe a slight swelling around the ankle, and they figure... Okay, this isn't like someone's having a stroke or a heart attack. So they can triage that and say, okay, we can put them on the back burner. We'll get them in a room. We'll check their vital signs. But the doctor may not come and see them for like, who knows, you know, three hours. So it's not always the case. But yes, if it's something I think that does, um, you know, where the triage thinks that it deserves an immediate attention. Anyway, this guy comes in. 
Um, suffice it to say, uh, I'll just skip through this a little bit. He, it turns out, and this is going to be a sort of a little bit of a sad story. Um, it's a guy that um, he's probably like seventy-ish, and he's had a stroke in the past, remote history of, of a stroke, as we would say. Um, and so he's really non-communicative. I mean, I wouldn't say he's in a vegetative. I have a state. question on these penile yeah. prints. Yeah. Are they like date stamped so you can see what, when it was put in, like? No. 1998. No. Or no. 2020. No, and that's a that's a problem because you know sometimes you're right. I mean, like you don't know, especially in someone like this who's non-communicative. He actually he can eat, but he can't communicate. It's like he can sit there, he can eat food, and he can. Um, I think I think he can walk, um, but he can't communicate. Even in he can't tell you if he's happy or sad or anything. He just he's just kind of. Staring into space, and, he, and and when there's food, he can eat the food. Reminds me of that case. I think that episode was. It's a question of sex. Where, the, I think it was a woman who was so young that we didn't know what you didn't know what her history was. She had some surgery as a very mm. very young child. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah, um, yeah. So you kind of have to piece things together in in, in that same vein, and um, you know. By the way, we have done an episode on penile implants. Yeah, but not like this. Not like this. And also, our very first episode, if you recall, related to that billionaire guy who went to like France or Belgium right. oh, yeah. to, to get a, yeah. a penis lengthening procedure. Right. And I said that. And then he yeah. died. And right. I, and I and I had said it was a scam because he was dead. Yeah. Uh, he, he 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 was trying to get away from the tax authorities. This is starting to feel like, remember when Carson would do like the 20th anniversary show and they would just <laughs> reminisce about the old <laughs> episodes? <laughs> well, it's amazing I can remember anything. That's impressive. Right, well, yeah, let's, let's see if we can get one more minute into this particular story. Um, so the guy, so the guy, so I come onto the floor, I, I know there's going to be some kind of an issue because they, they said something about the fact that there's a problem with this prosthesis that seems to be like coming out. And I'm like, okay, that doesn't sound good. So I come into the room. He's completely, you know, like I said, non-communicative. I, I, you know, lift up the sheet, lift up the gown. And here is what I see. So he's got a catheter in number one. Wait, wait, wait. So, that I, they put I, I, in there? Wait, I have a question. I have no. a question. Yes, we still haven't gotten into it. You're killing me, GB. Now, now I remember everything. <laughs> it's all coming yeah. back to, to today. Now you really, yeah. it's really a flood of memories are coming in. We're trying to get into the swing of things here. Oh, my God. Was he brought in because of this, or was he brought in because of something else? He was brought in because of something else. And now you're going to ask me what was he brought in for, and I'm not sure I'm going to remember. So, I, so, I, I know it wasn't because of the stroke. That was part of his history. So this was ancillary to whatever condition I think he, he had. I think he had a little bit of, uh, like, I think he had a fever. He had a little bit of an infection. Yeah. Was the and catheter there already? I remember. Yes, the catheter was there. As you will hear in a moment how it's very obvious the catheter was there. We might hear in a moment. <laughs> we'll see why he came in and I, I, I can't even see that's that's it's just right there it's like so typical as a consultant because I'm a consultant I'm not the I'm not the admitting doctor I'm not the quarterback I'm not in charge of his care maybe he came in for a regular heartbeat maybe he came in because he was coughing and they thought he asked right but then they needed your consultation yeah. but then they took a look under the hood as we say <laughs> and they saw things that didn't look right and they called in the urologist so did it did it did it not look right upon admitting? So, so th this—I um, uh, don't know what you want to call it—but this 
extrusion, if you will, happened at the nursing home? So it had to have, so let me explain. First things first, I lift up the, the gown and I look underneath and I can see what's going on is that he does have a catheter. Now remember everybody, a catheter is just a tube that goes through the, you know, whether it's a female or male, it goes into the urethra. So it's just coming out the head of the, you know, the tip of the penis where the urethral meatus is, where the opening is into the penis, except that this time um, he has had a, like one of the most severe erosions I've seen in a while. And an erosion means, this means that the catheter has most likely been left in for way too long. That's why I asked when it was Way up. too long. Um, Good and question. Yeah. JT. Well, because I know you can't leave them in for too long. Right. You can't leave them in too long. And, you know, as a general rule, a catheter should never be left in more than four weeks at a time. You can change it. But you should change it every four weeks. Uh, you know, at the at the most, it shouldn't be more than four weeks. So, so is this is leading to like neglect and potential malpractice right, right. on behalf of the nursing home? Right. But I don't think they're going to get into trouble. But as you will hear in a moment. So, um, so the thing about a catheter, whether it, even if it's changed every four weeks, it can still cause an erosion. And what an four erosion weeks? is, yeah, and I would think it would be more frequent, it's, and I would think not. it would be painful. Um, it depends. I mean, I think that um, what you have to realize is so this guy's bedridden. Yeah. I'm sorry, this guy's yeah. bedridden. Then if he's got a Pretty catheter, much. yeah, he's bedridden. Yeah, you can't walk. You yeah. can't walk around with a catheter. He's, he's can not you? walking. No, he's not walking. Oh, if I said he was walking before. That was wrong. He's not walking. I don't know. If you walking. said he was walking. No, he's not walking. Oh, that's terrible. So did he have bed sores? He did have some bed oh, sores. Oh, yeah. this is getting it's, worse. It's terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. This is terrible. So, um, so JT, this is what we have to look forward to. Yeah. So the catheter may have been changed, may not have been changed. I'm not sure about that. But what you have to realize is that this is putting, think of the, this tube coming out. There is, it's, it's, it, there's weight to it. I mean, it's not very heavy, but there is weight to it. And 24-7, it's kind of like, it's, pulling. it's kind of pulling at the opening where the head of the penis is. Is it made out of titanium? So, no, no, it's just a latex catheter it's a latex and so just so just catheter. imagine that something is pressing yeah. well why does a why does a bed sore occur because your the weight of gravity is really the reason the, the 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 force of the weight of you is going against the bed and in that spot where your skin is blood can't really get there and so you lose blood flow to I'm, that area i'm standing up guys okay so blood flow isn't getting so well to that to the underside of the penis where the catheter is kind of coming yeah. out and gravity is causing it to sort of arc out right it's and it's going oh down oh my to the goodness side. this is awful and so what happens is the opening of the penis starts to get larger and larger until it oh. erodes and it can erode down through the full head you of the right. penis. This was graphic. This is graphic. Through the full head of the penis, so that the head of the penis. This doesn't make you like I'm like I'm like squeamish okay. and I'm right. moving around in my chair. Right. We'll, we'll get there. This is this is we're talking serious stuff. We, we can we can we can make a little uh, what do you call it on the on the description a little, a little like disclaimer. not for our younger right. audiences or something. Well, like I'm that. not that young. This our younger graphic. audience. This is graphic. Our youngest listener um, is about 58, I think. <laughs> 
Um, no, no. One time, my daughter, no, I, a friend of a friend of hers, were on a road trip and they listened to a whole bunch of them. They said it was fantastic. So there you go. Twenty twenty. No, I, I do kid. I actually, I think uh, I think it is good for young adults. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, a lot well, of things to learn. L- lesson one already. If you've got a relative in with a catheter, with a catheter, you've, you've got to ask when the last time it was changed. It's not only that. It's that what happens is is that it, it needs to not only be told how often does it change, but who's really examining this patient. Because what happens is that like a primary care doc may come in, they'll listen to their heart into oh, the nursing home. They don't look at it. Yeah. They don't have any reason to think that they need to look down there. They forget. But the fact is, is they do. Um, so uh, this had eroded all the way down the shaft of the penis, all the way down to the scrotum. So that means that, like, I know it's hard to picture. What does that mean? The opening was that large. So it means that the how the how under, long was he? the underside of the penis was oh, opened up, almost opened like, up. like almost like like think of the whole shaft of the penis. The top, if you looked at it from the top down, it looks normal. But the underside, oh, it's like so sagging, the whole yeah. length of the urethra had been filleted open. Yeah, it's like, uh, like a fish. Wow. It's all filleted open because, um, and Holy the inside, it's like the Lord. whole inside of the urethra is just open and right. exposed. exposed. Is it, is this, and the is opening it, to push a catheter in is right at the top of the scrotum. That's where you would put the catheter in because there is no more urethra right. along the penis. It's right. gone. All right. right. Is this the time in your life that as a man you really wish you, 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 you had a shorter... Shaft, no, because you know what? Lo- no, because shaft. you know what? If if it were a woman who had an erosion like that, it would erode into her bladder. It would erode oh, down oh the vagina goodness. and into her bladder. Hmm. And, and then she would just be leaking urine. And all you over and the you've place. seen you've seen that before. Yeah, yeah. In wow, it, a long time ago. What, in when you were a resident? Yeah, yeah I think I saw that. Oh my goodness. Anyway, so um, that was problem number one. Yeah, we haven't even gotten there. We haven't there gotten yet. to the major problem. That's not the. That's <laughs> oh, this not, is not the major. That's problem? not the major problem. Um, because that problem, what you're supposed to do, I'll tell you what you're supposed to do in that with that situation in a minute. We're, we're not going to really fix it, but we're going to do something so that it doesn't get worse. And I'll tell you about that in a second. But the other problem is that this guy has a penile implant, which we've talked about in the past. He obviously, when he was a younger man, got um, what's called a an inflatable penile prosthesis. We've talked about this. Mm-hmm. Well, but you said as a younger man, you, you don't know if he got it right before he came into the You're nursing right. home. You're right. I don't. Because he was trying to capitalize on the action in yeah. the nursing home. I don't know. I don't know when he got it. Oh, come but, on, Jay. <laughs> I suspect he went to assisted living after his stroke, so I, it could have been before. That. Probably a reasonable thing to suspect. Um, so anyway, if you recall, you know, the penis has this pair of erectile bodies, right? So it's we've got the corpora cavernosa, which are these two cylindrical, um, spongy, uh, tubular structures that course down the length of the penis on the top of it, on the left and the right, okay? And when I'm saying the top, I'm just trying to make it for lay people. And then the bottom of the penis, as we now know from what I just described to you, is where the urethra is, that's in the center. Um, and what we do with these inflatable penile prostheses is we, we replace the, we, we put inside that pair of cylindrical tubular structures, these silastic tubes, which is like a material, the, the tip of which is sort of plastic. That's the part that goes into the head of the penis. And it's usually flaccid. Um, it's usually always flaccid. And um, except that it, there are little tubes that come out of each of them r- around where the scrotum is and they connect to a pump inside the scrotum and you can 
compress that pump if you're you know wanting to be sexually active and it will draw fluid from a reservoir that has been surgically implanted in your abdomen mm -hmm. into those silastic tubes and it will cause the penis to become erect. Wait, wait, I have a question. That, that fluid, does that need to be replaced? No, no. It's saline and it's just there forever. Okay, and it, and it doesn't accidentally no. drain or no. anything like that? I mean, theoretically, but no. You know, maybe one in a thousand. Is, is there ever a reason if you have a... Yeah, it's like saying a breast implant. Do, do you have to replace the saline in a breast implant? No. They Once those breast implants go in, they're not like swapped out every couple of years. No. Got it. Did, did they ever use silicone in those things? No. Um, no, you can't. Silicone is it's, not it's, a movable... It's not it's a... Too, it's, it's, it's too viscous. It's too viscous. Yeah. Um, so if you have a relative uh, who is going into a nursing home... Is there ever a reason to remove this penile implant? Well, first of all, that's a, that's an operation. I mean, now you're going to put them under general anesthesia; they could die. I mean, okay, so, really so it's one. So it's second of all, a lot of the family members don't know about it. Yeah. So I, in addition to seeing this, you know, so you wouldn't. The long story short, you wouldn't recommend. Then you just it's in there, it's done. It's like a knee implant or. or I mean, I guess the only thing I would recommend is to, to anyone listening is that, you know, if you are with it um, enough, in other words, if you're not like unconscious and you're going into the hospital for whatever reason, a trauma or, or, or like a heart attack or something, because often they're going to have to catheterize you. They're going to have to work down there. Um, it is probably, not probably, it's, it's important that you disclose, disclose that you it, have yeah. this because... Things can go wrong, and if people don't realize that you've got that kind of an implant, it, it can it can lead to all kinds of other. So problems. it's not evident to somebody. No, a lot of times, uh, if you look at somebody without any clothes on, you would not even their regular doctor wouldn't know it's there unless they were told it's there. But yes, um, someone who's experienced, like if a urologist examined the guy, they'd know instantly. Oh, he's got a penile implant, but. Not even all types of doctors would be savvy enough to, to examine and realize that they've got an implant. So anyways, um, the tip of this thing, as I said, the very tip is sort of like a plastic cone. That, that it, it, so it's like a soft tube structure, but then at the very tip of it, the part that goes up, abuts the head of your penis from the inside is made out of like a plastic material. And that plastic material has has basically uh, eroded and poked in through the skin. So it's now sticking out. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's now sticking out. Um, so that's a big deal. We call that a, a, a you know an erosion, a different type of erosion than the urethral erosion. I call um, it this a is series like a, of unfortunate events. This is a corporal <laughs> erosion. That is an erosion of an implant through the corpora. Um, so that's a problem. It's a big problem. Um, it's you know it's sticking out and and of course it's a huge source for infection right because this thing now you know can draw in bacteria and all kinds of stuff. Oh my goodness! Yeah, so it's a big problem, um, especially in the hospital where you can get all sorts of yeah yeah yeah. So you can you, so you can think about like, like if it's a staph infection or yeah. something you can lose your. Well, the tricky thing too is that you know this type of thing as I said what what are the components to it. Wherever it's in contact can be infected. Yeah. So what did I just tell you? Where is it? Where is where are the components going? There's the part that's going inside the, the bladder. There, well, not in the bladder, but there's a reservoir adjacent to the bladder. 
a reservoir is what has that saline in it. Yeah. And it's in the pelvis. Yeah. So that could get all infected. Yeah. And then what else is, aside from those two silastic tubes, there was one more component I mentioned, remember? There's three components. Yeah, the, the, the there's ure- the tubes. The no, no, there's the, I'm not talking about the erosion. I'm talking about a penile prosthesis. There's three components. What's in the, the scrotum? What's inside the scrotum? The pump. The pump, right? It's like a cherry-sized plastic object that they can feel in their scrotum and push on it, and it draws the fluid in. Right. All those structures can be infected now because they're all exposed to the outside world. They're no longer like inside your body. Mm-hmm. You know, people forget that the insides of their body for all intents and purposes, except your bowel, of course, is a st- it's sterile. I mean, right underneath the surface of your skin has bacteria all over it, but right below that surface of the bacteria, it's sterile. There are no bacteria. You know, you're, you're, you're a sterile environment on the inside. So as soon as something gets opened up, that area is no longer sterile. Now, granted, if you cut yourself, that's no longer a sterile area, but you've got all kinds of uh, systems in place to prevent you from getting infected. Although, as we all know, you could still get infected. Um, Well, this is obviously a huge infection source. So what do you think we have to do? I think you have to take everything out first, and and then you've got to clean. I mean... I'm still thinking about this erosion from the catheter and how exposed all that, that is. And then what are you going to do long-term about that? Well, I mean, do you stitch that up? And you it still, still needs up. a catheter. So is there you, a more you, permanent you, solution, yeah, like a colostomy? A so remember, when you stitch you something... You might need to bypass that to let everything well, that's what heal. I, that's what right? I mean. How would you bypass it? You've got a bag. Uh, well, he already has a bag. He's got the catheter going to a bag. Right. So how can you bypass well, it? Well, you would bypass... The penis and go directly into the bladder. Right to the bladder. Exactly. That's it. You guys are. You guys should be doctors. <laughs> you guys should be doctors. I love it. That's right. GB, so we, I'll I'll perform your colostomy uh, and and <laughs> catheter when you need it. So that's right. So the solution for the penile erosion is basically um, you go into the operating room and you you put a camera up through the you take out the catheter you put a camera up through the urethra into the bladder you fill up the bladder with you know, saline or water, you, you point your camera up towards the surface to the abdomen, like below the, where the belly button would be. And, um, and then what you do is you put something called a suprapubic catheter in. So it's suprapubic because it's above the pubic but, bone. But before you even do that, is he even healthy enough? So to, to be able to as go this, under anesthesia. You're right. So it's a, absolutely. So the first thing I have to do is I guy. have to... I have to, he's about 70, and he's had a stroke, so you're right, it could make him worse. He could have a worse stroke. I mean, I don't know what the cause of the stroke was. Sorry about that. Okay. Uh, airplane. Um, but, um, so the first thing I do is I call the admitting doctor, and I say, hey, I, I saw this patient. This is what I'd like to do. Can he be medically cleared? So he will say, well, let me do a couple of things. We're going to make sure, you know, get the EKG and the labs and all that. I mean, most of this is already done, so maybe I can't remember. Maybe the said, like, He's already clear. You do whatever you got to do. Do you need to check with the spouse or who's ever? Okay, taken? so that's so that's the other thing, right? And and so um, so it turns out this guy has a distant relative. That's part of the problem. Hmm. You know, he didn't have any kind of um, you know living will in place or anything like that. Where but someone must have medical power of attorney. So so he has this distant relative who has power of attorney. So they like it's like a, it's like a maybe it's not distant it's like a niece or something like but that. But so they're involved in his life. They're involved a little bit. 
a little bit. I don't even know if they go and see him. In fact, I've never met this person, and I've seen this guy many times. I don't even think they they think they're just kind of been thrown this responsibility right. and they've just taken it, but they right. don't have much of a relationship with this guy. Um, I think that, um, so there was kind of a discussion about like, well, maybe we shouldn't do anything and just, the problem is that he wasn't that sick. He, he I think he had a little bit of a fever. They put him on antibiotics and he was fine. That was it. <laughs> I mean, like in terms of what brought him into the hospital, he was, when I saw him, he was fine from a, from a clinically, you know, his, his white blood cell count had come down. He wasn't feverish. So this turned he out to be the major issue. Yeah, there. this turned out to be the major issue. He was only going to probably be in the hospital like overnight. I think he had a fever. They had him on some penicillin. It didn't help. They said he still has a fever. They brought him in. They put him on antibiotics, and they realized what was going on so down when, there. So when you're bedridden, but he got, but he was better in 24 hours. Right, he wasn't having a fever. When anymore. one is bedridden in a nursing home, isn't there standard protocol like when when there's a catheter in? Yes. The nurse or whoever. Yes. Should be chucking. Yes. Okay. But I will tell you right now, and this is the thing, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for people to hear this reality, but especially after COVID, I mean, I think that the nursing home industry has just been ravaged. It's just a debacle because, first of all, they had massive deaths. And guess what that means? You're the money man. What does it mean if like half of your liability? Well, no, no. What does it mean if half the residents? Yeah, they're half empty now. Empty they beds. Have no revenue. Yeah. So they got no staff. So they can barely monitor these patients. It's never been great. I mean, it's always been problematic. Well, there's got to be lawsuits too. That's why. Of course. That's also. Liability. You're right. That may the, be also the, why the, they're they're the, not able to afford to the, stay open. The, all the these other suits. issue. The other issue. I mean, I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying like this is the reality because I had a relative. My my. I had a relative that was recently, you know, we had to deal with nursing homes, and it's it's really rough. I mean, they, they I think that they're just all limited. They, they can't really afford the level of care that they need because, and, and as it is, it's a fortune. I mean, I think yeah. we had to pay something like $120,000 a year for this relative because she didn't have long care Ter, you know, long-term, whatever it's long -term called. Long-term care. care. But, the, yeah. but the other issue is staffing, right? So if you think about That's it, what I'm talking terms, about. right? You can't get, you know, just think about going to the restaurant where there's not great service, right? Because they, they can't get staffed properly. Now that's a problem, right? Where they, can't get, <laughs> where they can't get staffed properly. And just think of the nursing homes and how difficult those jobs for the people who work at the nursing homes are. And, they, and I can't imagine they're paying that much money. No, they're not. I mean, a lot of those people are making like under 20 bucks an hour. Yeah. And they're taking care of your, your loved one. They're being responsible to check things like catheters. Right. And, you know. So let me ask you this about that. In his situation, why not do that suprapubic? Is that what you call it? That's what we're going to do. Why, if he's got a catheter in 52 weeks a, a year, why not do that sooner? So you should have done. What you would normally do, that, that's a good question. I mean, what you would normally do is... Um, if someone's going to have a catheter, see, these things don't just happen. You don't know what you're dealing with until time's gone on. So let's say the guy had a stroke. You can try to predict how long he's not going to be functional, but you don't realize at the moment he has the stroke how long he's going to be unable to function. Mm -hmm. Maybe you think he'll rehabilitate and he'll be back on his feet in a couple of weeks. Mm. But then a couple of weeks goes by, and it's sort of like 
right. know what I'm saying? It kind of it it, it devolves. And like you said, people aren't necessarily paying attention. And the, and it devolves. I mean, yes, sometimes you can say right from the get go, oh, this guy, he's never going to be okay. He's going to have this catheter in forever. And then what they'll do is some people can get away with changing the catheter every month and not end up with an erosion. I, you know, it's hard to explain why some people do get these erosions and some people just don't. So I've had, you know, situations where I'll examine someone who's had a catheter for a year and it's been changed every four weeks. And I'm thinking, oh, this guy's going to have an erosion. And I look and it looks fine. How did the niece respond when you told her what the issue was? She just said... I think she already heard a little bit about it, so she just said, okay, well, I understand, just do whatever you have to do. You know, she might have said, like, well, I guess if you do nothing, you know, he's just going to keep getting sick like this, right? And I think I said, yeah, he probably will. And she said, okay, well, then just do whatever you have to do. And I said, okay. Okay, so that, did you do that that night? So I put that super pubic tube in that night. And did you take out the... So that's Implant? a more significant procedure. I would think right? so, yeah. Because now you have to make, um, now you have to actually make an incision right, right. in the scrotum. You take out the pump. You have to sort of tunnel out in through that incision to where those corporal bodies are and get those, um, those silastic tubes out. Um, that's step one. And then you have to ask yourself, well, so what are you going to do with all these openings? Particularly, the urethra opening isn't such a problem, but the other openings... The ones where the thing eroded out, where the tube eroded out. Yeah, I'm just thinking to myself. What are you going to do with those openings? Because they're infected. You can't just stitch them closed. So in surgery, this is a good time to talk about drains. Why do surgeons put in drains? To get the fluid out. It's sometimes to get the fluid out. It's also when you've had an infection, an infectious situation. No, it's fine. When you have like an infectious situation. Um, you leave a drain because remaining bacteria, the body's going to react to remaining bacteria by dumping more inflammatory cells and material into that area where the bacteria are to fight the bacteria. And what can happen is if you don't have a drain in there and you've closed everything back up, essentially making it a watertight compartment, then the bacteria are going to have like a perfect environment mm to replicate and form like what's called an abscess. So you put a drain in basically so it can sort of like clean itself from the inside out. The fluid comes in, it's sort of the, the stuff starts coming out the drain and when they've had antibiotics on for like several days, you can just take out the drain. At that so point. I have a question. Hmm. So you have a patient that's bedridden, he's had a stroke, is he on blood thinners? And then, and then, and then how, does, how does the blood coagulate seal the, 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 the you sutures. Take you take them off the blood thinners. Okay. Yeah. But then once you've gotten out of the surgery, you can put them back on. Got it, got it. Yeah, because I'm thinking, just how would that heal? But so, yeah, I made the opening in the scrotum. I took everything out, and then I took a drain, um, and I did not close the scrotum. That's the other thing. When you have an infected wound, which this effectively <laughs> is, this is an infected wound because we got we got infected materials, we, we leave the wound open. We do not stitch it closed, and we stuff, we do what's called a wet-to-dry dressing change. It means that you take, um, like, a piece of gauze, fabric gauze, not paper gauze. You put, you drench it in a little, like, saline, or some people will use some iodine. You wring it out. You kind of open it up so all that fabric has nice netting in it, 
and you kind of push it into the wound and then until it's all the way up to the surface of the wound and then you put a dry dressing on top of that. And how does that work? It works such that the, um, the, um, the wet dressing inside, it, it, as it dries, because it gets absorbed by the dry dressing on top. And as it dries out, um, it becomes adherent to the tissue inside. So when you change the dressing, when you pull off that now barely, it's now like barely moist, it's almost dry now. The next day you pull out that dressing out of the wound, it takes out like a little layer of tissue with it. Hmm. It's almost like what we call a debridement. Have you ever heard that term before? Debridement? So surgeons oh, oh, will- when I clean my room. So surgeons will use that, general surgeons will use that term. It means that like you'll have a wound and if it's an open wound, you'll end up with this sort of dead tissue that will form on the surface of the wound after several days. And sometimes this, this is something more in general surgery than in urology. They'll have to go in and literally kind of cut out that dead tissue. That's called debridement. But this is a my, this is like a micro debridement where you take out this dry this dressing. Do you take pictures to sort of document what you've done? It depends. Only if I think there's like something of great clinical interest and it's just really important to hold on to that. Or there might be some kind of legal issue coming up. But usually, honestly, I mean, some of that, I think the nurses do in the hospital. Like the nurses, I guarantee you, this guy's record in the hospital chart has images of all of this because they know that this could turn into a legal situation. But it's not going to because the niece is totally removed, um, just signs off on things, has no interest in that. Haven't you seen the doc's Instagram feed? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and so then you have to make, by, by the way, to finish the case, you have to make an incision in the abdomen, find that reservoir, take that out, plus the tubing that went down towards the penis, and get it all out. That's, that's the whole case. Wow. And so, so you, how did he recover from this? He recovered. Went back to the nursing home. And is he talking now? No. Still not talking? No. And wow. So, so he has a superpubic tube, and you have to remember to change the superpubic tube. How, how do you tube. know if he's in pain or not? Are you, are, are you able to? How, you know, how, he, how he, he still reacts. Like, if you if you kind of pinch him, he, he retracts, he kind of winces. You so that's tell. how you know. Yeah. Hmm. And so now, is he now your patient that you have to go to the nursing home and follow up, or how does that work? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's where it gets tricky, probably. I mean, probably what I'm going to... You know, I put in my orders in the hospital, this patient must return to my office in one month for a superpubic tube change. So they have to bring, somebody has to bring him into my office yeah. and make sure the appointment's made, that he gets yeah. brought in there, and then I can change that superpubic tube. But it's, it's, it's not easy. I mean, in other words, to, to be in the care of somebody like that. And, and what's your obligation if, if you have this in the back of your mind, it's like, you know, it's been five weeks, the patient never came back. Do, do, do you follow up? What, 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 what do you do as a doctor? I, these are really tough questions. I mean, you know, I think legally my responsibility ends by me documenting that what needs to be staff done. was informed that this yeah. patient has to be brought back. Um, and that goes for someone who's, who's coherent or incoherent. Like, you know, because sometimes we'll put like a stent in somebody who's got a infection in their kidney from a stone and we'll put the stent in and then they leave and they may be a homeless person and then they leave the hospital um, and it, it does get tricky because then what happens is they'll, they, they won't come back and then that right. stent will get uh, calcified and infected and yeah. it's a nightmare 
And then people will say, well, why didn't anybody follow up with this person? So I, I for a fact, urologists have been sued for, for that. And then, of course, they have to defend themselves. And, you know, the question is, did they properly inform, properly document that this has to be addressed in the future? That's all subject to interpretation. And was there, there was no reason, not that you could have done this, but like why he had that erosion? That, that no, the pump in the first place. No, I mean, obviously he had erectile dysfunction. Some urologists put in a, you know, inflatable peanut prosthesis in the so past. Can, can you, can I mean, you it could tell? be a prostate thing, like you just don't know. Um, he did have a prostate in, so I don't think it was because of prostate cancer. I think it was just natural loss of erection. So, so you, you, you know how technology changes over time? So when you remove this thing, are you able to see that, oh, this was like, this dates back to X year, and, and, and there's a yes. newer model now. Yes. Yes. So, so, so yes. were you able to figure out how yes. long ago this was put in? Easily 15 years. Yeah. It's like a phone. Actually, it didn't, I didn't remember it didn't have until the... you brought it up. But yeah, I remember now that it was a very old style pump that I saw when I was like a resident. And he, he, was, was, like like 50, he was like 55. Wow. You said he was 70? Yeah. So he was like 55 yes. years old and he got yes. this pump. Yes. Was he, was he a heavy set patient no, or a thin guy? Thin. thin guy. Got it. But he could have, who knows why he got Correct. it then in the, in the first place. That well, goes, he got it because he couldn't goes have back, an erection on his own. That goes back to my continuing comment throughout all of our other episodes. <laughs> oh, wait, which, which, which continuing roll. comment? <laughs> Here we go. Because there's about 20 of them. About weight gain and, uh, oh, yes, uh, yes, yes. and function. The old weight gain. Yes. Yes. Oh, ding dong. That was another right. thing that we had when we had <laughs> our, house call. our guest house call. Yes. Yeah. That's right. There you go. Boy, I finally just, got the sound effect. Yeah, Perfect. we're just reminiscing in this new show in 2022. It's <laughs> exciting. <clears throat> All right. Well, that and, I, and I'm happy to say that uh, Jay is laughing uh, at a three out of my four jokes. All right. That's a good percentage. So that's that, actually been a that's a progression. That, that's pretty good. Yeah, I feel that's... like when we first started this, he was just like continually <laughs> no. shaking his head. I love just GB. Dis- Come on. Disdain and like you know, just, yeah, disapproval. Now it's 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 actually and good. and and for the audience, you'll notice the shows have gotten longer because Jay has stopped editing my jokes out. <laughs> You know, it's a weird thing about GB. I can say this from personal experience. When you first meet him, you're just shaking your head like, oh, God, this guy. But then he has this weird capacity to kind of grow on you in it's, a way that, like, you, you have no control over. It's like an erosion, actually. It's like an erosion. <laughs> yeah. It's like an erosion. You just exactly. sort of open yourself up to the, the right. humor. You just fillet it open. <laughs> there you go. Way to come swinging back in That's 2022 right. with, hardcore. With, with a hardcore story. That's right. That's right. We, All right. We don't mess around here. Well, thanks, Doc, and uh, appreciate the story and the uh, wisdom, as always. GB, good to see you. Good to be seen. Good to be seen. And heard. <laughs> All right, back to work. Thanks, Doc. You got it, guys. Take care. So that's our show. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Two Men and a Doc is hosted by Dr. Michael Hyman, GB, and Jay Tannenbaum. Produced by Jay Tannenbaum. The views and opinions expressed here by Dr. Hyman are based on his medical training and experience. But if you or someone you know are experiencing any medical issues, you should, of course, consult your own physician. We welcome your questions about men's health or anything you've heard on this podcast. So write to us at mail at twomenandadoc.com. That's M-A-I-L at twomenandadoc.com. 
If you live in the Los Angeles area and want to see Dr. Hyman, you can find his contact info at drhymanla.com. That's D-R-H-Y-M-A-N-L-A.com. And these links are also in the show notes. That's it for this week. See you next time on Two Men and a Doc.